Well, welcome, dear listeners, again to the Just Go Bike podcast. I am Kyle Munson, uh, one of the many occasional co-hosts on this tandem bicycling team. And this is the podcast where we talk about bicycling just for the fun of it. So we talk about Ragbri Nation and stories from across the nation, around the globe. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. So today I am here to talk about the upcoming RAGBRAI. We're back in person for 2021 and we have a, a route uh, that registers annual great bicycle ride across Iowa. The last full week in July we're going to be bicycling more than 450 miles, 454.1. And one of the eight overnight towns that this year's RAGBRAI goes through is Sac City. It's the the second night of Ragbri, July 25th, the thousands of bicyclists will be stopping in Sac City, and I wanted to introduce you to one of the characters along this, uh, along the Ragbri route, who will be in Sac City. Today's guest for this conversation is Michael Hurst. Michael, welcome to Just Go Bike. Thank you. Thank you very much indeed. Great to be here. And, uh... Yeah, I appreciate you taking the time. Now, I haven't even told listeners yet kind of what it is or what you do or why you're in Sac City, but let's start with this. Let's start with what is your first bicycling memory? I'm, I'm just assuming you've been on a bike at some time in your life. <laughs> you're, you're correct, I am. I think my first memory is the Gray's Knee scenario. Um, coming off it probably when I was about three, uh, two and a half, three years old. And uh, I, I remember my driveway uh, at... Uh, my dad's house back in England was uh, very gravelly, and uh, I think my mum used to pick out little bits of stones from my knees regularly until I mastered the uh, the art of it. But uh, no, I've, I've, I've actually I've got an exercise bike at home I use a lot, and uh, I've got a mountain bike, and I like to get out and uh, hit the trails. And uh, so uh, I've I've always been been on a bike. Um, I love them because uh, I guess I'm rather old school. If it's uh, if it's a five minute drive away, it's much more fun to cycle there. Uh, and if it takes me 25, then I get to enjoy the view on the way. Um, I always feel we miss so much when we're in a car, but on the bike, you kind of see everything. So, uh, um, no, and, and now I, I, I cycle with my kids too. So, uh, it's, uh, we, we pass down the, the trend to each other, but, uh, no, it's, it's fresh air in your hair. It's a bit like having a convertible car, isn't it? But uh, <laughs> um, a much greener, shall we say. <laughs> That's right. Well, no, you, you're definitely speaking the language of, uh, of this podcast and our listeners. Uh, yeah, you do get to see America or, or, or England or, or the countryside in general from a bike yeah. seat. It's a lot of fun. All right, so that's, that's a lot of territory from your childhood scraping your knees on your bike in England to Sac City, Iowa, which is a small town in western Iowa which uh, uh, has the world's largest popcorn ball. That, that's one of the that's one of the oddities. It's almost let's see, nine thousand three hundred and seventy pound popcorn ball. So that's uh, something that bicyclists can look forward to. But how did you get from England to Sac City, Iowa? Can you just kind of uh, can you briefly describe what brought you to <laughs> Iowa? <laughs> sure, I, I can do that briefly. Um, I, I guess I, I've been I've been involved in the in the culinary world and hospitality and restaurants and hotel from the age of 16. Um, I started cooking for my, uh, my parents when I was about 11 and they, and they left me to it and, uh, in the kitchen. And, uh, I learned from a young age, if you do the cooking, you don't have to do the dishes. And I really hated doing dishes. So I've, I've, I've kept that mentality going for the last 35 years in the industry. Um, so I've, I've traveled a lot. Um, my father lived in France for, for about 15 years. So I've traveled all throughout Europe. Um, obviously the British Isles and Scotland and Ireland and, we actually lived in South Africa for four years when I was uh, about six, seven years old. 
um, because of my dad's job. He was a diamond dealer trader wow. uh, for, for a very well-known company, um, De Beers. And um, so he was always traveling, and I, I got the travel bug from him. Um, he was always in Antwerp or Botswana and all these exotic places. So um, I did the same in my career. I, I moved to London when I was 17. I got a job in a hotel uh, after I, I got out of school and um, just, just fell in love with it and had the chance to cook abroad in France and then Switzerland and Germany. Uh, then went to India for three months to learn all about spices and curries and because mm. they were very popular back in the UK. And uh, I guess uh, I did the journey of uh, working in hotels and restaurants, um, spent a little bit of time in Portugal too, trying to learn the language, which didn't go down too well. I'd, I'm not a very good language learner. So uh, <laughs> we, we, ha we have a unique language in the kitchen is where you show me how to do it and I just do it. You don't have to actually speak. So it's right. uh, Food is your uh, language. Food is your language. Yeah, ex exactly. And uh, so I did all that and I actually bought my own restaurant in the UK. In fact, 25 years ago this year, I owned my first restaurant in the United Kingdom. And, uh, and uh, I did that for 10 years and sold that, went to New Zealand with my young family and uh, – Came back and a, and a friend of mine who, who used to dine in my restaurant uh, was one Mr. Don Decker of Decker Truck Line out of Fort Dodge, Iowa. Hmm. And uh, he, I think I've known his family for about 30 years and uh, a super family. And his son used to come over and, and uh, bartend in, in England, um, trying to learn all the English uh, English dialect and the, the ways of the, uh, the countryside in West Sussex in England. And uh, Don, Don had bought a golf course uh, that had fallen into disrepair. It was the, um, the VFW golf course here in Fort Dodge and uh, wanted me to come over and train some staff because he knew I wasn't working because I'd sold my business and just got back from New Zealand. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd never done America. I'd never been to the US. Um, I don't know why. All the opportunities that have come up for me have always been the other way, leaving Heathrow, heading across Europe and, uh, and that way and going to Africa and never actually made it to, uh, to the US. So... Uh, um, I'm a big believer in saying yes. Why, why, why should you ever say no to anything? So mm. I thought, yeah, let's, uh, let's fly out to Fort Dodge. And uh, we spent a couple of days in Des Moines. He hid Fort Dodge from me for a couple of days. <laughs> um, and uh, so I enjoyed Des Moines and we came up here. And uh, actually the golf course, and, uh, and it, it, was, it was great. It was an opportunity to start the culinary school here at Iowa Central Community College in Fort Dodge. Uh, they didn't have one. And uh, the prospect of trying something completely different, starting a cooking school, um, having done hotels, restaurants, small, big. Uh, I mean, I've, I've done catering up to 1,800 people at uh, one sitting. And I've done a, a small little restaurant that had uh, about four tables and sat 12 people. So uh, this was just a, another extension of what you can do with this. And I thought, well, why not? Wow. So we started the cooking school back in 2007. And um, I've uh, built that program up over the last sort of 13, 14 years. And uh, my assistant actually is a, is, a, is a young man, Jeffrey Phillipson. He's from South Africa. Uh, he met a girl in Paris, funny enough, who was from Sac City, Iowa. So you can see where this is going now. And uh, <laughs> so he's a chef by trade. And, uh, and we met when he moved uh, into the area. He moved back to Sac City and started a family there. Um, and we, we, we had the same education when we were younger. And and uh, we met up literally over, over a beer, and I said, well, I'm looking for an assistant in this program. Do you, do you want to teach it how we used to teach it in the old days? And he's like, absolutely. So we both uh, work at Iowa Central, and um, I guess the natural extension of doing that together was kind of, well, should we open a restaurant together? Hmm. And uh, he said, yeah, and I said, well, something actually just – and the business that came up was, was the one in Sac City. We looked at several, but um, he knows the town very well, and a lot of people have known him. I think he's lived there about seven, eight years now. And uh, it seems like a, 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 a really nice place. And 
Uh, I, I like the fact that it's uh, it might be a 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you know, lock the door at night and it's not uh, not the sort of Des Moines craziness that might be uh, you don't get out of there till two in the morning. I've, I've lived that life in London and uh, mm. I, I we kind of want nicer, nicer hours and nice people to look after. And uh, so far, everyone I met in SAC has been, been absolutely charming and wonderful. And uh, I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting it open. Wow. That is a whirlwind. You did a great job of uh, compressing your timeline into a whirlwind narrative from uh, Try to. Try yeah. to. <laughs> so, you know, but that's so that's remarkable. This trucking family from Iowa is your connection to finally making your trip to America, becoming starting a cooking school at a community college in Fort Dodge, and now with another fellow globally educated chef, you're launching this uh, this fine dining restaurant essentially, I guess, uh, in small town Iowa. So, all right, so before I get to more questions about Sac City and what you're doing now, what was the name of your first restaurant that you ran, and uh, what did you specialize in there? Well, the, the, the first one I was a head chef in was actually a place called Greens in London. Uh, so that was the first one I ran for someone else. Um, I was doing that when I was 23, mm. uh, and Greens is actually owned by members of the royal family. It was owned by the Parker Bowles family. Oh, wow. Um, and now Camilla, obviously, is married to Prince Charles. So uh, I, I got very lucky. I got to feed a, a host of VIPs and celebrities and members of the royal family while I worked for them. I worked for them for about four or five years in total. Wow. Um, but I left Greens to open up. Uh, I, we bought a place down in West Sussex, uh, myself and uh, uh, my ex-wife now, unfortunately. And uh, so we bought that back in 2000. No, sorry, 1996 we bought that. Uh, and that was called the King's Arms. It was a 300-year-old public house or a good old English pub mm. um, but it came with a, a, a large sort of barn that we turned into a, a function facility to do weddings out of um, and it came with 20 acres of land it was just idyllic but uh, the original housewife the farmer's wife had been brewing beer there for the last 300 years so oh my uh, gosh it, it had a lot of history to it and uh, uh, a, lo a lot of very low ceilings a lot of tall tourists would bang their heads on the wooden beams in our restaurant but uh, <laughs> especially <laughs> after the especially after the beer yeah exactly <laughs> Exactly, but we, so we had these lovely pieces of random historic carpets that were, were nailed to these beams, so people had a, a soft landing when their head hit them. Um, <laughs> but I think every every owner over 150 years at least had put a piece of carpet up somewhere, and that was and we left them up there. It was kind of a, a story of the. Uh, the, de the terrible carpets that people used to buy a hundred years ago and put in their houses. So, <laughs> oh, but, uh, so that was that was the first place I owned was that was the King's Arms, and uh, we had that for ten years and had a lot of fun. You know, it, it's the, the beauty of this job is is uh, all I do every day is like entertain people with with, um, with beverages and food and and uh, hopefully sort of a, a warm, welcoming, hospitable environment. And uh, it's very much I've always I, everything I've ever run for people or run for myself was uh, it's an extension of my house it's uh, that's what good hospitality i think should be and uh, that's what i've always tried to do so it's it never feels like a job because you're just hosting people and you're having fun with them um yeah. so uh, yeah it's uh, it's been a it's as you're right it's been a whirlwind journey but uh, i've loved opening up the culinary school and and uh, having these young iowans open their eyes up to, to food from around the world and uh, we actually run the golf club now is is uh, uh during the school year is just sold out. We, we open up every Wednesday, Thursday, Friday throughout the school year. And uh, we're, we're fully booked pretty much every week, week in, week out. So uh, 
the people of Fort Dodge have really supported this program too. So it's uh, it's been a great experience, and uh, those kids get a very much hands-on education. So uh, yeah. yeah, it's great. That, um, that's a it. that's a wonderful opportunity in Fort Dodge. So before we shift our focus fully to Iowa, let me I, knowing the insatiable appetite that Americans have for anything to do with the Royals, they would my listeners would strangle <laughs> strangle me if I didn't ask you. So what did the Royals eat? I mean, you had that experience of of serving all those VIPs. Tell me, like, yeah. what was the what was the most in demand dish or any memorable encounters Ooh, gosh or yeah did, did you um, did anything sent back to the kitchen by a royal where you had to redo it <laughs> I, I wouldn't be here now my head would be on a on a, on a spike outside the tower of london if, I, <laughs> if that had happened i think but uh um well my, my the, the the one lady that we we enjoyed feeding a lot because she used to come in quite a bit um and there's the irony that uh, princess diana used to come into a restaurant that was owned by the parker bowles family little oh. did we know what would happen later on um so <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah I, I actually got to got to feed young william and harry when they were super young um obviously we, we're going back uh, gosh 25 nearly 30 years ago i was working there yeah um but uh, I don't know if, you, if you're familiar with the uh, the warm sort of vanilla sauce called custard that we pour over desserts in the UK. Yeah. Um, well, when it goes a little bit cold, it, it has a skin on it. And Princess Diana used to love the skin, the sort of congealed top layer of this the custard sauce. Um, she would actually let hers get cold in the bowl and then um, peel off the skin and eat the cold custard skin off her dessert. But mm. uh, yeah, Princess Margaret, she was a big fan of steak and kidney. We used to do a steak and kidney pie, and uh, which was a pastry-covered pie of steak and, and lamb's kidneys. And she used to eat that. But those two were the, the most regular royals in, Princess Diana and uh, Princess Margaret. Okay. Uh, obviously, unfortunately, neither of them are with us anymore. Yeah, but, um, yeah. Um, but no, we did. The, uh, I guess we used to get the the fringe royal family members. We never uh, we never saw um, Prince Philip or the Queen. Uh, they they would they, they I don't think they ever eat out in London restaurants. But uh, the, the sort of younger generations and the fringe royals would often eat out. And uh, because our place was owned by uh, a sort of well-to-do family, um, you know, security was quite tight. All the windows were smoked glass, so you couldn't see in. And mm. uh, they, we we always had sort of they they called them coat. Um, uh, coat collectors, you know, when you came in, you could take your raincoat off and, and hand it to someone. But the ones we had at Greens were, were quite burly, shall we say, rather beefy looking chaps. So <laughs> I think they doubled as security as well. So, uh, right. but, uh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I got to feed, you know, Richard Gere. And uh, I think my, my favorite food memory, though, at my time there was um, I got to actually sit down with Nelson Mandela. Uh, oh, and we wow. chatted for about 10 minutes about braised oxtail. He loved braised oxtail. And his mother used to make it for him when he was a kid in Africa before he went on his journey for uh, trying to break apartheid. And, uh, yeah, that, that sticks with me still every, every day. I, I always think back on that one and go, how lucky am I to have sat at a table for 10 minutes and uh, chatted with that guy? Um, so, what? yeah, I, I've, I've had a, a lucky time. What wonderful um, memories! I just, I just love this, and of course, that's uh, all these conversations around food, and and uh, yeah, I, I can totally see why you love your 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 craft and you love your business. All right, so yeah. let's bring this into Iowa. Uh, yeah. You have this established uh, culinary program at Iowa Central and Fort Dodge, and you've got your partner yep. who also shares some of your global cooking uh, skills and and um, you know resume. And you guys uh, zero in on this restaurant in idyllic downtown Sac City, Iowa. <laughs> so what what was <laughs> what was this place that you have taken over, and what are you turning it into? Well, it's, it, it used to be called the, the um, Sac County Cattlemen's Club. 
Um, so it was it was very much, uh, I, I think you would call it a, a sort of uh, a family-friendly steakhouse, mm -hmm. um, for want of a better word. Um, and uh, Jeffrey and I had actually looked at a number of restaurants from, from places in um, we, lo we looked around Webster City and all over the place. And uh, the, the owner of this place knew Jeffrey and uh, just approached us about a year ago and said he's, he's thinking of getting out. And, uh, and he showed us his books and we, we'd heard all the stories of what it used to be like. And obviously he, he struggled during the, uh, the pandemic, unfortunately. And, uh, and uh, I, I guess with, with the nudgings from his, uh, his wife's family and they didn't want to lose this place and sack, it was quite the sort of community restaurant. Um, and it was uh, at, at a time that we we looked at and um, talked to each other about doing something because uh, the culinary school, yes, it, it does kind of run itself, and we have to do recruitment and and that sort of thing. But it's it's pretty well established now. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so we, you know, us chefs, we always want the next next thing to do. We're always looking for something to do, whether it's a you know a food truck or the next event or how to how do we keep ourselves busy as, as chefs? We hate being bored. Uh, we, don't, we don't sit down and watch television. We can't do that. I've got to do something. So uh, this, this just seems such a good opportunity. And with Jeffrey living in SAC and, and being well-known in the area. Um, so really, our, our goal was to, to, to take what was a, maybe a slightly tired um, steakhouse and, and bring it up to sort of 2021. And that's, that's really what we're doing. We're, we're still calling it. It's going to be called Cattleman's. Um, mm -hmm. It's Cattleman's Steakhouse, and uh, we are going to have the best of uh, Iowa's uh, Black Angus beef in many different versions on the menu. Uh, that's that's the plan. So different sizes of all the familiar steaks that everybody knows. Um, we're going to get some Iowa lamb on the menu, some great Iowa Iowa pork on there too. Mm. Um, and then, um, yeah, I'll bring a few different twists to the, to the starters and uh, maybe some of the sides won't be familiar because we, we like – our chefs like to play around with the uh, the extras here and there. To, uh, um, but, yeah, really it's just – and I don't want to call it fine dining because I, I bought big chunky boards to serve the steaks on. So it's still going to have, a, have a, <laughs> a homely rustic feel to it. But uh, we just, we just want to – we want, to, we want to bring a little bit of sort of, um, I don't know, I suppose you call it a Des Moines or Chicago-style steakhouse decoration-wise, but it's still going to be a lot of smiles, a lot of fun, and a lot of regular people um, going there. So well, we've turned half the building into a sort of pub, and the other mm -hmm. half is the, is the sort of steakhouse restaurant that's going to be open Thursday, Friday, Saturdays, and the other half's going to have a, a, a much sort of cheaper, more, more user-friendly menu um, at lunchtimes and at the early part of the week. So. That's wonderful. So, I mean, do you you mentioned earlier the classic English pub, which I which I also love, and then you mentioned the classic American steakhouse. Did, have you come to sort of see the the classic American steakhouse as a real type and something that you've that you now understand from a culinary kind of viewpoint and what makes it special? Yeah, I think yeah, it's it's it is unique. Um, you know, it's it's uh, when, when we design the pub side, um, it, it's very unusual for me to uh, to agree to this. But uh, uh, the, the gentleman, uh, we have another partner in the business who, who's a, who's actually a fireman from Fort Dodge. Hmm. Um, he's he's been a, a friend of mine for about eight nine years, and uh, because we we thought we can't open a restaurant with with a British guy and an African guy, we've got to have an American guy in here <laughs> in the mix to make it to make it a little bit more you know. <laughs> so more traditional as it yeah. were so right. so uh, but um 
we, we were we were decorating the wall behind the bar, and I asked him what what these two large black metal things objects that he was pinning up on the wall, and he said that they're, they're for the television chef. And I'm like, in a traditional English pub, we wouldn't have televisions, old boy. <laughs> you know, we we talk over our pints of beer, <laughs> but. Um, so the restaurant side is going to be is going to be very beef decorated. We've got some huge artwork of uh, of uh, animals that we've taken pictures of in Iowa fields and Iowa barns. And uh, but you know, yeah, it's I've been to steakhouses in Chicago. I've been to a couple down in Des Moines and a couple in New York. And uh, it's it is just it's a very unique American thing to to have a high quality steakhouse. I'm I'm and I'm talking more on on the products that they've got. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the, the, the service and uh, that I've had places like Fleming's in Des Moines. Um, yes, they're, they're, of course they're expensive, but at the moment beef is very expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you have a restaurant in a big city, your bills are much higher. We're, we're hoping to bring that to Sac City, but in a, in a much more approachable price range because we don't have the high overheads that you'd have in a in a, in a bigger city like Chicago or Des Moines. Yeah. Um, but I think you know it's it's Iowa beef is such a great product, and to be able to showcase it and just uh, and trim it with with some of the things that um, we like to do, sort of just. I think the sides, you know, people will notice the sides are a little bit more interesting and different than they're used to. Uh, it's not the sort of cottage cheese that uh, we're going to serve with a steak. We're going to do a few different things. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, I, I mean, it's just – I think it's one of the best products I've eaten in America is, is uh, Iowa black Angus beef. So why not showcase that? Um, and as far as I'm told um, by pretty much the majority of everybody in the Midwest, that's what we eat is meat and potatoes. So I'm happy to <laughs> happy to offer that service too. <laughs> that's great. So are you? Um, well, it sounds like you have a real plan then to both. You, you know, you want to serve your local customer base, but also cater to tourists or travelers and that, and that sort of a thing, and make it a destination Absolutely. dining as well to have the best of both worlds, if possible, right? Well, yeah, and we, we'd heard that. We'd heard people used to come from Sioux City and uh, all over the place. Uh, we, we had a couple of lovely young ladies, and, and by young I mean they were probably in their 80s, mm-hmm. um, stopped, stopped into our, our building site about three weeks ago in the restaurant and telling us the stories of how there used to be limousines parked outside and these people had come from you know, 70, 80 miles away in a limousine for dinner in wow. Sac City, Iowa. And I was like, I was just amazed by these stories. Oh, the ladies used to dress up and come in wearing fancy hats. And I was like, well, that's, I'm happy to bring that era back. Let, let's do it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, th- I think, uh, and just the fact that these ladies are going to hopefully be regulars of ours as well now, I'm, I'm excited to, to look after the locals. And I think that's why we wanted the pub side to be a little bit more sort of user friendly. And, uh, I, I always remember one of my first chefs always said that, that, uh, we used to shout out if there was a food critic or a, or what they call obviously a VIP. Uh, and he would always shout people down and go, every damn customer's a VIP. Mm. And, uh, that's always stayed with me. And it's, I, my restaurant was the same when I had it down in, in Sussex. It was, you know, I, I want the guy who, who collects my garbage to sit next door to, um, I mean, I, I fed lots of, um, I'll name drop very quickly, but people like the, the uh, Annie Lennox from the Eurythmics. And oh, we wow. had most of, most of Queen in my restaurant, uh, Roger Taylor and, uh, <laughs> and the band. And uh, unfortunately, after Freddie's demise, but uh, we became great friends. And uh, uh, yeah, it's, so it's, it's kind of fun to put rock stars right next to the garbage guy. And it, there's, no, there's no dress code. It's just, hey, all in, everybody should enjoy great food. There should be uh, there should be no strings attached to it. Amen. So that's kind of our, that's kind of our feel there. So yeah, that's a, well, and that that fits with the Ragbury spirit too. Everybody everybody welcome sit at the same table. Um, so, uh, what's your signature dish then? What will be your signature dish at Cattleman's? Ooh, that's a very good one. I think we're we're we're, we're trying to put together a quite unique steak sandwich. Um, 
and and that could be something that we end up hopefully making a lot of uh, when, when these uh, wonderful cyclists come through uh, for Ragbri. But uh, we, we've we've come up with a format, and I guess the general public will tell us whether whether they like it or not. But we're actually going to use um, uh, fillet steak in our steak sandwich, mm. um, but slices of sort of little medallions. Um, um, because I, you know what, when you, when you get a steak sandwich, and this is a food memory of me when I get bad steak sandwiches, I'm always sort of tugging at the meat to try and get it out of the bread. Mm. Um, when you're taking a mouthful now, when you use fillet steak, it's just, it's like butter, you know, so you don't have to rip and tear. It just sort of, you bite and it comes apart. And, uh, um, I've had too many bad steak sandwiches, so I really want to nail a, an exceptional steak sandwich, but, uh, each one of the owners has actually put a dish on the pub menu. So we're going to, we're going to let people decide, uh, if they can work out whose is whose. I, I think probably, <laughs> The traditional lamb shepherd's pie might be a giveaway that it's mine, but I'm the, <laughs> that's the only one I'm going to mention. <laughs> well, that, that's a nice. That'll be a nice friendly competition to see whose dish is most popular, so you can have yeah, bragging rights. Yeah. yeah. Well, we we put on some South African wine on the wine list at, for, for for Jeffrey, and uh, um, I haven't. We, I'm not that much of a fan of English wine, so we didn't do that. But I put a few English beers on the list, and. Uh, and uh, my Scottish grandmother will be proud of the whiskey selection that I've uh, I've put on there for her, uh, in her honour. So, uh, <laughs> and then obviously uh, uh, Nick, who's the other partner, he's uh, he's very happy because he knows all the bourbons very well that we've got on the list. He's a big bourbon fan, so uh, we've uh, we've decorated our bur- our bar with a lot of uh, uh, good bourbons. And uh, actually, that's, that's been one of the things I've really enjoyed doing is, is going down to the, the Kentucky area. And uh, and uh, chasing the bourbon trail. I, I'm, I, I haven't done it on a bicycle though. I must admit, I did it in a car, uh-huh. which was a uh, which was a little bit risky. I should have done it on a bike or a horse, actually. And, uh... <laughs> okay. Pulled in the carriage or something like yeah, that. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but, uh, yeah. No, I know they do have those wonderful bicycle uh, bourbon bicycle trips now. You can you can uh, actually do that. So that that can be on your list someday when you get a rare vacation oh, from the restaurant. It definitely so. is. It's it's on the bucket list for sure. Yeah. So how many how many people? What's your capacity for Cattlemen's? How many people fit? inside the restaurant um in the, in the bar side the pub side that's going to seat about 40 to 45 and then in the main dining room about 110 in there um okay that's- so we, we, we're going to open sort of gradually um because like everybody else we're, we're kind of struggling to find staff at the moment mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. so uh we'll we'll we won't i think full capacity we could probably do 120 in the in the in the main dining room but we're going to start with about 100 in there and uh, and just uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of I don't turn tables over. I never have done. Uh, if you come in for dinner, that's your table all night. Whether you come at 5 o'clock or you come at 7.30, it doesn't matter. Um, I want people to sit and relax and enjoy themselves. And, and I'm, I'm a big fan of eating as an experience. It's not just something that you have to do um, to fuel up. It's uh, I, w- I want people to laugh and enjoy themselves and completely relax and forget where they are for, for at least an hour and a half uh, of their, their evening. Um, before they have to go outside and realize they, they've got to cycle home again. Yeah, right, <laughs> so. right. That's So um, when you're going to have this opening summer then, you're going to be open and the end of July you'll have thousands of visitors that obviously won't be fitting inside uh, – uh, the steakhouse, especially, you know, we're still kind of going through the end of the of the COVID pandemic. So, are you going to be then uh, serving up food uh, on the street in front of the restaurant, or how are you going to deal with these thousands of bicyclists? Well, we're, we've we've we're talking to the the, the city at the moment, um, and I, I believe we're going to be allowed to set up because I think the whole of, of Main Street that we're on will be a, a will become pedestrianised for the visit of of Ragbri. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and from what I can gather, they're going to allow us to, to set up outside 
um, and have a quite a quite a substantial sort of uh, uh, an arrangement of tables and and um, hot food equipment out there, uh, and I believe uh, bar as well. Um, so uh, yeah, the, the first thing I did when we got our liquor license was to make sure we can serve on a Sunday because I didn't realise you had to have a separate one for that. So. Yeah. Um, and I realized Ragbri was coming in on a Sunday, so we wanted to be able to serve a, a lemonade or two to the thirsty, uh, thirsty cyclists. Yeah. Um, so I think that's the plan anyway. Um, that's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, you can be the first to know. I think when you say we're opening, I, we're, we're actually trying to get open this Friday. Um, might be our first night open. So if, if all our deliveries happen that's supposed to this week, uh, we could be open, which is at about the 28th, so the 28th of May. All right. Should well, yeah. Be, uh, that should be our yeah yeah so yeah we're recording this just ahead of uh, shortly ahead of the 28th of may and and uh, so folks might be listening to this in early june but so your secret's safe we, with us for now but all um, right good but, stuff <laughs> but people i'm sure that people will be flocking to to check this out i mean this all just sounds so wonderful and i love all of the just decades of experience that are feeding into this uh this restaurant you know you mentioned earlier uh, specific things like the Angus beef, but how, how in general do you think your time in Iowa has changed you as a chef or you're thinking about how you approach food? Um, well, I, I spent 20 years thinking that the only item that we ever had in England that was smoked was salmon. <laughs> um, and uh, So to come over here and people are throwing sort of smoked um, brisket at me and smoked pork at me, and I'm like, well, what, what's this world of smoking that I, I don't know? Um, and it, it's literally, if you, if you went, 20 years ago, if you went to an English pub, you would not find any smoked item of, of meat. Um, it was all smoked salmon. And you might have found some smoked eel if you were lucky, but that's all I ever came across in, in cooking in the UK for, for 20 years. So that's changed my opinion a lot. And uh, we now, I mean, uh, Jeffrey and I have, have uh, experimented with a lot of stuff. I mean, even to the extent that we've, um, we've smoked some ice cream. Uh, wow. We've smoked, we smoked, put some smoked tomatoes on a burger takes that burger to a whole nother place it's mm. uh, so we've really experimented with uh, smoking the unusual things you know smoked peppercorns to put in a grinder smoked our own salt um, as well as you know smoking the meats and uh, smoking different fish um, so we're, we're, we're having a lot of fun with that and uh, and barbecue um, the different types of barbecue um, I've had some in Iowa that's been brilliant uh, obviously Kansas has a different style of barbecue and then Texas barbecue that's not on my list I haven't been down to Texas yet but uh, um, uh, I think I've been to about thirty different states, so I'm trying to I'm trying to eat my way around uh, in my summer <laughs> summer breaks from uh, being a teacher to try everything. But there's it's so vast that the the, the different range of foods in America and uh, it's it's fascinating. But um, yeah, the, the 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 Midwest palate. I mean, uh, it's isn't it fascinating? I had a buddy go down. I think he was in uh, Miami about two weeks ago, and he sent me a picture of a menu at a steakhouse he was at, and they import Iowa beef for this restaurant, a very high-end steakhouse in Miami, mm. uh, and he's eating Iowa beef in a Miami restaurant. I'm like, I love that. That's that's what people think of of Iowa beef. It's it's it, it has to go to high-end steakhouses in uh, down in Miami. So I was, I was very impressed with that. Mm. Um, but yeah, you, you, I mean, it, it is. You hear the phrase, the bread basket. They, the, the one thing I, I wish there was more of, which we have in, in, across Europe, is a lot more homegrown vegetables available. At, uh, you know, every small village in, uh, across uh, France and Germany has a farmer's market every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And you can just get lots of lovely local produce. And uh, I, I, wish a, I, I want every corn farmer just to grow a quarter of an acre of tomatoes or peppers for me, just mm. so, <laughs> so I get a bit more variety. Um, 
because I, I love local produce, and if I could get get more of it available, then uh, you know I, I don't want to buy green beans that have come from you know, somewhere like Peru in the middle of uh, November. I, I want I, I like you know greenhouse, even greenhouses, more greenhouses in Iowa, so we can eat eat Iowa vegetables all year round almost. Um, but that's I think that's coming. I think there there are a lot more people who are growing their own product. Um, yeah. I think there are. I mean, the Des Moines farmers market is what one of the highest ranked in in, in the country. Yeah, uh, massive. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, may that keep spreading and, and get get uh, get more of those going because uh, I love real local produce. Um, yeah. don't, I don't want to buy you know why buy Australian lamb when I can get lamb in Iowa? It doesn't make any sense to you know have it shipped thousands of miles. Let's let's get it uh, local. Yeah, so. eat local. Well, that sounds like a wonderful cause. You can be an advocate for some agricultural diversification uh, through the restaurant and uh, through uh, feeding all these people and farmers and everything and, and maybe yeah. get a few more uh, suppliers. Well, this Absolutely. is this has been a wonderful conversation, and I wish you and your partners only the best with uh, Cattleman's Steakhouse. And I know that the Ragbri throng looks forward to, uh, to meeting you and, and to visiting. Um, one question that we often ask in this podcast, because on Ragbri, one of the signature desserts is homemade pie uh, right. throughout the week. So I have to ask you, what is your favorite kind of pie? <laughs> well, you know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to be really diplomatic because I've got this <laughs> restaurant in the sack now. I'm going to tell you that we're going to probably have some form of popcorn pie available for Ragbri. Oh, my gosh. I can't even imagine. <laughs> I'm imagining like a what it mean the Rice crispy bar kind of wedge or something? Well, <laughs> something, yeah. We, we decided just, just for a bit of fun, our, our desserts, all the desserts will incorporate popcorn somewhere in them, whether it's a, a sprinkling on the top, whether we're putting it into the, the graham cracker crumb of a cheesecake uh, but we're gonna have, we're gonna have popcorn everywhere. So so my, I've got about a month and a half to come up with an amazing popcorn pie that we'll, we'll <laughs> offer at Ragbri. So. <laughs> well, I will look forward to that too. I just love it. Uh, kudos for the creativity. <laughs> oh, well, got to be different, you know. All right. Well, hey, different. happy happy uh, uh, happy cooking, happy bicycling, and thanks so much for uh, sitting down with the podcast, Michael. My pleasure. Look forward to seeing everybody at the at uh, the end of July, and uh, hopefully you'll stop in as well. I will. Excellent. Thanks very much for your time. Appreciate being here. Thanks again for listening. Let us know what you think of the show by leaving a rating and a review. They really help us out a lot and help others find the show. For more information, check out justgobike.net. The show's theme song was written, produced, and performed by Ryan Steer. Brian Powers is the show's producer and the Just Go Bike podcast is brought to you by the Des Moines Register, a part of the USA Today Network.